here is a picture, <coughs> excuse me, of a conference centre I used to go to with my work. Some of you have been there. And uh, if you go onto the website of this conference centre and add the postcode into your sat-nav, it does not take you there. It takes you to the house of the farmer who lives next door. And there's some pretty big conferences happened in this conference centre. can sleep nearly 200 people. So it feels like the route to the conference centre is driving past it up to the farm next door, turning around, driving away again, and then going to the actual centre itself. Even though they've put a big sign beside the farm gate saying, if you're looking for Cloverly Hall, it is not here. Even though they put on the website, do not use a sat-nav to get here, still there is a trail of cars going up, turning around and coming back again. Well, I remember when I used to go there for work all the time, I had a colleague who was also used to go there for work all the time, and she'd still arrive 15 minutes after everybody else. And then you'd say, Ruth, why were you late this time? And she'd say, I just put the postcode into my sat-nav and I drove up to that farmer's house. It's like, I feel like I'm getting to know him now. Pop in for a cup of tea, you've been there so often. Uh, I just thought, Ruth, haven't you done this enough times that you don't need a sat-nav? You've just learned the way by living in a world where you have to go here quite often. <clears throat> no. <clears throat> often when we come to church, when we read the Bible, when we pray, we want a sat-nav. I have those type of conversations with people all the time. They say, uh, I'm trying to decide between doing this and this. God, just tell me what to do. Give me a rule, give me a plan, and I will do it. Uh, They come asking people like me, uh, I've got this option and this option. Which is right? And the truth about God is, we're going to discover in Proverbs, this book all about wisdom, is that God doesn't want to be your sat-nav. He doesn't just want the relationship with you where he feeds instructions down from heaven and you have to do them. No, the relationship Proverbs uh, describes as having with God is much more like this one. Like a child holding a hand with a father. That's the God relationship God wants with us. Now, if you've ever done that with a child, I do it quite often. Sometimes, when a child holds your hand, you have to pull them away. You have to say, no, it's very clear you don't run in the road, so no. But often, when I'm walking along, holding hands with one of my children, we're just having a chat. We're learning about the world as we walk together. Yesterday, I was with a friend who was holding hands with his son. And as we were walking along, looking at the birds, his son said, Daddy, are birds useful? which is the type of question that only a child can ask, isn't it? Useful for what? Eating? Yes. Uh, Some of them. But that is what the relationship God wants with us, not to fire down instructions from heaven that we have to obey. No, the invitation that Jesus gives us is to walk hand in hand with the God who loves us. And as we walk through the world he has made, we will learn how to live. We don't need a set of instructions every morning because we're getting to know the God who made all of this. You know, uh, if you've had children or had to look after children, it's a good moment when the little hand sneaks into yours without you having to grab them. You think, okay, we're going to walk together and 
learn some stuff and I'm going to parent you. And that's as we come to Jesus, that's what God is offering. Not an email every morning about what's right and wrong today, but a hand to hold, a person to know, the person who made everything that we see. There's some great verses in Proverbs about stuff like ants and dogs and insects. It's as if you're supposed to walk through the world looking at the things that God has made and think, oh, I know the God who made this, so he must want me to learn something about this. And growing in wisdom will be growing in knowing how this world works as you know the one who is in charge. So the truth is, for most, not all, but most questions that you're facing today in your life, okay, don't read me wrongly here, but for most of those questions, there is no right answer. There's no one thing that I can say, yes, that's definitely right and that's definitely wrong. For some questions, there are. If you're thinking of, you know, murdering your neighbor, I can say that's wrong, okay? You don't have to have a discussion about the wisdom of that. But for most things in normal life, there is no right or wrong answer because God doesn't want a relationship where he just fires you rules and you obey them. He says, no, let's head out into the world together. And with my help, you'll learn, you'll grow. And if you want that relationship with God, then Proverbs, this book of the Bible, says it is the right place to start. Verse 2, these Proverbs exist for gaining wisdom. If you want to live in this world well, if you want to walk with God hand in hand, if you want to walk through knowing the one who made everything and so learning about the world from his point of view, this good life in tune with the God who made the world, well, Proverbs will be a very good place to start. And here's the first thing we see. Prudence is pretty. Prudence is pretty. I don't know why it's still doing that, so I'm going to stop. Prudence is pretty. I went to university with a girl called Prudence. But she didn't call herself Prudence. She called herself Prue. And I guess that's because a generation ago, maybe when she was born, because I I am older than I look, uh, this word Prudence would have been seen as a positive thing. Nowadays, it's not a fashionable thing to be called. What do you think? If I was to describe someone as Prudent, how would you imagine them in your head? I think you'd imagine them as overly sensible, perhaps a little bit judgmental, perhaps sort of all wizened up and dressed in black, sitting at home, hoarding their pennies in a prison-shaped piggy bank. Now, my friend Prue is actually lots of fun, hence Prue, not Prudence. But Solomon, the writer of Proverbs, he thinks prudence is a good thing says in verse 2, you'll gain wisdom and understanding if you read these Proverbs, so that you can live in a prudent way. And living in a prudent way is a good thing, because look at verse 3, you will then do what is just and right and fair. So prudence is the way that we bring good stuff rather than bad stuff into the world that God has made. Whatever it is, prudence. 
You need prudence if you want to bring justice and rightness and fairness into the places where you are. You need this thing called prudence. And I guess the the sort of definition of prudence is this. A prudent person is the person who doesn't just think about what they want now, but thinks about the person they are becoming. A prudent person plays the long game, not the short game. A prudent person says, the way to make this decision is not just to think about what I want in this moment, but to think about what I will become if I make this decision. That is the prudent person. It's interesting um, uh, because we all know that if we just do what we want all the time, we will never have a life that creates justice and fairness and righteousness wherever we go. People who just decide what to do based on what they want, not prudently, make the world a worse place, not a better place. It's interesting, I was using, uh, trying to get pictures for prudence, but I couldn't, except, and I thought you wouldn't want this on the screen, there is, in another part of the world, a condom make called prudence. That's quite a good illustration, isn't it? I will not be led for the passion of the moment, but by the long-term consequences of this act. So we don't just learn prudence. Uh, we, we don't just do what we want. We learn prudence. We don't just think, what do I want? We think, who am I becoming? This is one of the things we need to learn about the world if we're going to be wise. We think about ourselves, I just choose. So this morning, I have choices, I just choose. If I make a bad decision, I'll make a better decision tomorrow. That's not the way we're made. Proverbs says, every choice shapes who you are becoming a little bit. There's plenty of things, not in God's rule book as wrong, but... If I choose them, I will not become someone who brings justice and rightness and fairness to the world in the long term. There's plenty of ways I need to not just think, what do I want? But who am I becoming? Let me talk about some of the questions Christians want answers from, sometimes from me. Is it right or wrong for me to spend my money to live in a nice house? I don't know. The Bible does not say whether that is right or wrong. What I will say is this. It is unwise, it is not prudent to make selfish decisions about something as big as where you live and to also think you will become a generous, giving, sharing person. As if in that big area you just make a selfish decision, you will become a bit more and more selfish person. Is it wrong to move house to get my children into a good school? You can tell the stage of life I'm at. That's the big question for everybody. Well, no, the Bible doesn't say anything about where you should live and what type of school your kids should get into. But I will say this. It may be unwise. It may not be prudent to continually decide your family are all that matters and think that you won't become a withdrawn, closed, unfair person to everybody else in the world. Of course, if you make big decisions that way, that is the person you'll become. Is it wrong for me to move away to take this much better job offer I've got? I don't know. 
could be right, could be wrong, it's probably neither. But I will say this, it's very unwise to drop your friends and your church for the sake of success and think that you're not going down the path towards being a selfish person. Just be prudent. Or one that maybe comes up more often than not. Is it right or wrong to skip church to do my academic work when I've got an exam the next day? Well, it's not sinful, I can't tell you that. But it's probably unwise to think you can keep doing that and not be building a pattern of work matters more than God into your life. Prudence. Not just what do I want, but who am I becoming? And if you trust Jesus today, probably even if you don't, you would prefer the overall effect of your life on the world to be justice and fairness and blessing and rightness. But you probably also find that mostly you do what you like and then occasionally that occurs to you and you try and do something nice and then you default back into doing what you like. And don't create much justice and fairness. And that is the call to be prudent. Stop just thinking about what you want to do, how you feel. Plenty of things can be justified. But you will, by doing that all the time, embed a pattern of selfishness into your character. No, be prudent. Think about what type of person each decision is making you. That's wisdom. That's walking with God through the world. As you hold hands with the Lord who loves you and look at your life, particularly if you're older, which some of us in this church are, you can probably look back and see this pattern. You can probably look back at the moments and say, you know, in that moment, I just did what I wanted and did not consider what the long-term effect of my actions would be. And here I am now, not the person I would have chosen. Now, God doesn't abandon you. In this book, it's interesting, he never slaps people down for being unwise. He still stands holding your hand in that position. But he does say, from now then, be prudent. Be wise. That's the first thing. Prudence is pretty. Then secondly, fear isn't foolish. Again, in my work, I used to spend a lot of time standing on train platforms, waiting for inevitably delayed trains. And there's nothing more galling is there when your train is delayed, high-speed trains keep going past, and you're like, one of them, please just stop and let me on. Um, High-speed trains to where I'm going, but they won't stop here. Uh, It's like, thank you, Virgin. Anyway, I don't know whether when you stand on a platform and a high-speed train is coming through, it's quite an experience, isn't it? It starts with that sort of click-clack, and then this sort of laser-type noise starts, and then it comes rattling past you, and everybody stands back, and nobody's speaking, and the wind is blowing your hair, and your eyes water a little bit, then it's gone. Now, I think I would call that fear. I wouldn't call it fear of being hit by the train. No, I'm sensible enough not to have been standing on the track waiting for the train. I was on the platform. But I did feel fear, respect, awe for that train such that I behaved towards it correctly and wanted to get on it rather than standing in front of it. Well, when Proverbs talks about the fear of the Lord in verse 7, that's the type of thing it means. Not that Christians are scared of God punishing them because Christians, when they've trusted Jesus, do not need to fear that. 
but they stand back and have God in his proper place because he is so awesome. If you want to start the content of wise decisions, this is where you start. It's God's world, fear him. You don't need to be scared of God punishing you, but there is a respect and awe, a fear. You remain in the right relationship to him. And then there's someone called the fool in verse verse 7, who's the opposite of that. He despises wisdom and knowledge. So if you want to start making good decisions, you start by saying, there's a God who's bigger than me. He made this thing. The only first right step will be to hold him in right regard. Now, there are people who despise that. Probably even people here. People who immediately think to themselves, no, it's my life. I hate the idea that there's someone to be more respected than me. Stupid train. How dare it think I shouldn't stand in front of it. But it is the way the world is. It's foolish. Fearing other people is not a way to be wise. And fearing the future so you're constantly showing up safety, that's not a way to be wise. But fearing God, thinking I want to be on the right side of him, that's the only way to be wise. The fear of the Lord is this central building block. Uh, So fear, right respect for God, isn't foolish. And if you're sitting there being irritated that I'm suggesting someone deserves more respect than you, you're a fool. Third thing, selfishness is stupid. If you did uh, GCSE, English, in this country at any stage, you probably had to read a book called Animal Farm. Anyone had to read that at school? Yeah. It's a group... It's a strange book. It's about a group of talking animals on a farm. And there's two pigs in the book. This one, this is Napoleon. It's very grumpy. And this one, Snowball. You may be wondering where this is going. In the book Animal Farm, this is why we all studied it in school, it's a very clear story about real life. It's about communist Russia. Napoleon is a very clear picture of a real person called Stalin. And Snowball is a very clear picture of another person called Trotsky. Now, in the way that animal farm is a sort of cartoon, Proverbs is a cartoon. It's a sort of simplified view of the world where things represent things in the real world in a sort of simple way. So the first picture we get in verses 8 and 9 is of parents. They represent the people who have played the long game already. So we have brought goodness and justice to the world. You can think of them now. I think of them right at this moment. The people you would like to become like. Now, for some of us, that is our parents. For many of us, it is not, sadly. But you can think about who are the people whose spiritual lives I respect, who bring blessing to the world. And the parents play the picture of that person in Proverbs. It's the next slide. Then there's this other group of people. Wicked. They're they're called in verse 10, sinful men. Now we use that word wicked as a category of people who do really terrible things. But Proverbs isn't like that. It just has a very simple this side and this side view of the world. 
says, either you're wise or you're foolish, either you're prudent or you're a slave to your desires, either you listen to those who are wise or you're wicked. And what the book, the call of the book is to say, listen to the people who've made good decisions, not those who encourage you to do bad stuff. The wise who are motivated by this fear and right regard and respect for God do not listen to the wicked who in verses 13 and 14 are motivated by wealth and comfort and selfishness. So if you are motivated by those things, the guiding principle in your life is not the fear of the Lord, but getting valuable things for yourself. In Proverbs terms, you belong with the wicked. It's the wrong way to live. It's interesting, that is sounds sensible, but it doesn't look sensible in life. We think, oh, well, I need more stuff, so I'll get it. Just seems sensible to me. Solomon says that looks enticing, but a life that's lived that way, in verse 19, is death. You don't want the life you end up with if all of your decisions are just based on getting stuff for you. And you know that's true. Think about the people you know who just decide what to do every step in life to get something they want. What's their relationship with their spouse like? What's their relationship with their children? What type of friendships do they have? Maybe you think, that's me. I have bad relationships in all of those areas. Could it be you followed the way of the wicked? Decisions are about what I can get for me, and that's turning you into someone who brings curses and death and harm to the world. That life looks like life, but it is death. There's a great novel, much better novel than film, called Gone Girl. I don't know whether you have read it. Um, It's much better than the film, so if you've seen the movie, forget that. Read the book. And at the end of the book, this woman who's done awful things all the way through, she seems to have won. She's done terrible things, and she seems to get everything else that she wants. And so she turns to the husband that she's been sort of getting one over on and says, I've got everything I want now. I've won, and you've lost. And he says, maybe. The problem is, you still have to be you. You still have to be you. Isn't that the same as verse 19? It takes away the life of those who get it. Who wants to be the person who's lived life just getting what they want? Because this is cartoonish, it feels far away. I can't remember the last time I plotted with wicked people to mug some unsuspecting person, which is what verse 11 and 12 talk about. But the cartoon represents a real thing, a society that says, listen, you ought to fill your life with stuff. Even if you're hurting or draining or damaging others, if you're not getting what you need, you should do it. And Proverbs says, that life is death. It ruins you and it brings death to the people around you. So listen, is it really okay to pile on to politicians whose views you can't stand on social media in order that your party wins the election? I would say it's unwise to turn into that type of person. 
shaping a life that way leads to death. You will end up rejecting God and you'll bring death to others. Think about the people you respect, your spiritual elders in the Lord, the people who've played the long game. Would they behave that way? Is it really okay to make decisions in life based on having a settled life in a nice house with lots of nice stuff around you? I would say it's unwise to turn into that type of person. If you constantly choose stuff for me over generosity to others, that way leads to a life that's death. Think about the people you respect, your elders in the Lord, the people who've played the long game. What was their attitude to stuff over people? You may not be actually picking up the phone, like Proverbs shows, sort of pictures, picking up the phone, answering the call, shall we go and mug someone? Oh, yes, please, I'll do that. But you could well be joining in the enticing of a wicked society that says, listen, it's okay if people get hurt, other Christians are discouraged, people don't hear about Jesus, you've got to put yourself first, get the things you want. The wicked are always choosing that. Your parents are always calling you to something different. Think about it right at this moment. Everybody here will be making some decision about life. You're walking through the world, holding hands with the God who made it, working out how to bring justice and righteousness, and you're not sure what the right thing is to do, what the wise thing is to do. Think about it now. There's probably something in your life, very small, very big. Think about it. Well, here's some advice. One, hear the call of those who've walked before you. Those you know who have brought justice and righteousness and fairness into your life and those of others. What would they have done? And why? How would their concern for the long game, their fear of God, how would that have played out in your situation? If they're still around, ask them. If it's someone who's here... Ask them today. But be prepared to get advice you don't want and have your bad motivations exposed. Their advice will decorate your life so you bring beauty and justice and love to others. Still stuck? Next question. What's motivating you? Is it possible you're in this situation because you've just picked up a whole lot of ways of thinking from the wicked? People who don't know God or respect him. Actually, you can see this isn't an issue at all. It's just, uh, there's something I really want, and I want to get what I want. And so you're not thinking of who you're becoming. And I say, Christians are the worst at sanctifying that, making a terribly unwise decision and saying, oh, but I felt led to do it. It's like, yes, we can all feel led to things that are very unwise. Wisdom is not about feeling led. It is about thinking through what God's told us. Think about who you're becoming. Is it that you're in this situation because it's a choice between a shortcut to happiness and something that really matters? You're like the people in Proverbs 1. We will get all sorts of valuable things if we do this. Is it clear that one decision will hurt and damage and discourage others? And you think, I'll do it anyway. What you're saying is, let us swallow them alive like the grave. If you're a repeated pattern of those decisions in life, this one you're in now, and you think, okay, I have to choose this or this, think about, 
if I repeated this way of making decisions my whole life, where would I end up? If you made every decision the way you're making this one, what type of person would you become? I think there's pretty three pretty good pieces of advice there for deciding what's wise, isn't there? What would our elders have done? Am I just following the world? What type of person will become if I make every decision this way? And selfishness is not just bad, it's stupid. It promises all sorts. But actually, the life you're taking away is your own. Who wants to get to the end of their life, like the end of that novel, and think, I've got all the things that I want, but I have to be me. Verse 17 uses this phrase, um, how useless to spread a net where every bird can see it. It's saying this is an obvious trap. I shouldn't have to write about it, is what he's saying. Everyone knows that just doing what you want and aiming to get what you want out of life does not bring the life that we respect and want. Everyone knows it. It's so stupid, but so enticing. Selfishness is stupid. Fourth and last thing, very briefly, paths pull you. I said at the beginning, it says in chapter one at the beginning, that Proverbs is something that the more you get, the more you want. The mark of a wise person is that they want to learn more wisdom. The person who says, oh no, I've got enough wisdom now, I don't need any more, is strangely not wise. It's a picture of wisdom of like this one, of walking down a path into a beautiful forest. The more that you appreciate where the path is taking you, the more you want to walk further down the path. And that's what it's like to gain wisdom. The more you begin to see the world God's way, the more you want to live the way he's suggesting. But the path of the wicked is also a path in verse 16. It's a bit more like this. A muddy, slippy path that once you start down it, it's very hard to get off. Their feet rush into evil. They are swift to shed blood. Once you join in with rejecting God's wisdom and doing what you like, it's like a slippery, muddy slope into disaster. You know, we are naive about this. We think, I, people are probably even thinking, oh, I know I should be wise, big picture. I get that. But here, just in this little area of life, I'd just like to take a little holiday from wisdom. Just for a little while. Just for a moment. Just in this area of life, for this second, I will not respect God, do what I want, get what I want out of life. And then I'll jump back onto wisdom's path. I will do that. I'll just do in this little area unwise first. Proverbs says that's not what it's like. The path of unwisdom, rejecting God, is a slope that pulls you along swiftly towards violence. This is the biggest trick Satan will play on us this morning. We'll nod sagely and say, yes, I ought to be wise. And I am with money and with church, my job, just not in romantic relationships. Or reshuffle those, however your particular uh, foible lies. And then you'll find that the path you're on then rushes you on to the next bad decision and the next bad decision and the next bad decision. And you turn back later saying, how did I get here? This is not the person I wanted to be. So if you can hear that, 
hear wisdom's voice now. Listen. If you can identify you're in that trap or making those decisions, change how you're making them now while you still can. The God-fearing view, the non-selfish view, the advice of your elders' view, make that choice and take it. The world is full of Christians who took a break. Who thought, it won't matter if I just ignore God just in this area, just for a little while. Who years on look back at their hearts they broke, the damage they left, the person they became. Look back at a life stolen by a few unwise decisions that pulled them further and further into the way of the wicked. I remember talking to someone once who'd made a total mess of their life in every possible way, even though they'd been a strong Christian. And I said, how did you get here? What happened that you made all these decisions to get to this mess? And it was interesting to what he said. He said this, it's always stuck with me. I just took my armor off for a second. I just took my armor off for a second. I just decided to be unwise just for a moment. And this is where I ended up. The choices will form the person you become. Well, if it all seems a very depressing way to end a sermon, I do want to say Proverbs is rightly called an invitation away from that life into the genuinely good life. There is an offer of an amazing life here. Holding God's hand, walking through the world, knowing the one who made you as father and friend. And that offer to begin walking wisely, holding hands with him, is here for you now, no matter how unwise you've been up to this point. Jesus is the God who didn't just give us wise words, but became the wisest ever person. And he didn't just do that to show us what was wise, but to offer to come and live in our lives so that we love wisdom. And that offer is there for you now. However unwise you've been, however far down the path of the wicked you've slipped, Jesus is God reaching to those people saying, walk this way with me from now on. Come on, I'll show you. Let's understand the world together. And that's not depressing because imagine what a church full of wise people could do in a world that is run by the wicked. Imagine all of us, those of us who know God through Jesus, making decisions based on becoming a person who brings rightness and justice and fairness to the world rather than just deciding what we want. Imagine people so deeply in awe and respect of the real God that it forms what we decide to do every waking moment. Imagine if we could all walk the path of those who have gone before us that we deeply respect and honour. Imagine if we were all putting to death decisions based on getting stuff and we're enjoying walking the path of the world hand in hand with the God who made us. That's the invitation of Proverbs, not to the sat-nav God who fires you down directions of what to do every morning, but a God who says, walk with me, know me, 
I want to understand your world as you understand mine. And together, we'll bring rightness, justice, fairness to the world I've made. Let's pray. For gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair. Lord, even though we're told all the time that we'll really be ourselves when we let go and just do what we feel, the truth is we need to hold your hand and be guided to think about who we're becoming. And we just want to ask today for the work of your Holy Spirit so that that becomes very clear to us. Please help us today put these practical things into action to take the long view, to fear you above anything else, to think about those we respect who've gone before us and how we can walk in their steps to examine our own wrong motivations and get rid of them. And as we do those things in big and small decisions, from now, Holy Spirit, come and dwell in our lives such that we bring rightness and justice and fairness to this world which you have made. Please give us that help that we need. In Jesus' name, amen. Because those are areas where basically I think God's saying, listen, this person is walking through the world holding hands with me and you don't get to say to them, your kids are in a good school, you must be selfish. Everybody before God has to decide what's the best thing to do given my responsibilities, given fearing the Lord, given the people who've gone before me, given my motivations. And there are people, I mean, I don't know, I think I know lots of people who including lots of people in our own church who, by the world's standards, are incredibly wealthy, given how poor so many people are in the world. But selfishness is not the pattern of their life. So it must be possible. Um, I I think, though, it's probably unwise, uh, if I can question the premise of your question, (laughs) it's probably unwise in the terms Proverbs talked about to shape your life around getting those things. So to make those things the most important things to you getting is, is not going to lead you down the path of generosity. But there are clearly people who are walking down the path of generosity who find they get those things too. You can ask them how they did it. Yeah. Well, I, I think what you told us is really helpful. If my life is focused on what I'm getting now versus who I'm becoming later, I think that really helps you navigate decisions. It doesn't give you the answer, but it helps you navigate. So other questions? Any other enthusiastic hands? Yeah. Yeah, so the question is, you know, we were supposed to look to our elders to say, how do you live? But surely some of those people who we've looked to have, have actually made bad decisions. How do you weigh those two out? How do you, how do you manage that? Yeah. What I'd say is Proverbs is a very black and white book. Uh, it doesn't do shades of grey. Um, and so um, wouldn't sort of... Re- the book, the Bible as a whole, would recognize the category of people you're talking about. Proverbs as a whole wouldn't. It would just sort of say, there's your elders and then there's the wicked. 
And that's because it's interested in what's generally true rather than exceptions that break the rule. So generally speaking, it is good advice to say the Christians who've gone before you, who as far as you can tell in your close to them lives you admire, you should think about what they would do. But it's true, and the rest of the Bible tells us, some of those people turn out not to be what they thought we, we thought they were. Look at Job or Ecclesiastes to discover the people you were going to for advice actually give you very bad advice. And yes, that can happen, but it's generally good advice to look at the Christians who are older than you have gone before you, who you know well enough to respect, and think about what they would have done, even though there are sometimes exceptions to that rule. And I think we need that because in our culture we're obsessed with youth. So we think, what's the trendy young thing to do? That would be the right thing to do. Whereas the Bible is much more saying, no, generally speaking, it should be those who've gone before you who give you advice rather than the, you know, who's getting the most tweets on Twitter or whatever. So it's a generally true whilst the rest of the Bible accepting what you've said. Yeah, great question though. Thank you. Other questions? Yeah, here. Great. So the question is, how binding is that advice? I think the answer is, if you ask me, it's binding. <laughs> uh, so that's the question. You, know, you go and you ask somebody, hey, wh- what should I do? And they tell you, is that binding on you because you've asked the wise elder person or not? Um, no, it's not binding. That's why we have this category of wisdom, which is different from the category of law. So law in the Bible is binding. If something is a law, you have to do it. The commands in the Bible that fall into that category are actually relatively small compared to all what's in the Bible, and they come directly from God, and everybody has to do them. The the wise person's advice from ahead of you is not binding on you, but Proverbs does say, if you are constantly in the way of not doing what the people who've become what you admire are doing, that's probably a sign you're not making really great decisions. But no, it's it's not... Binding, and that—that's why I think it's. I, I really want us to see Proverbs as opening up life as an adventure. We are constantly taking the adventure out of life by saying, "God, show me what Your will is, and I'll do it." God's like, "No, let's have more adventure than that. Go and ask this person. Walk this way. Try this. Learn from this. See where you end up." That seems to me to be more the pattern of life that the Bible's commending to us. So, the short answer to your question is not binding, but Proverbs sort of says if you're constantly rejecting the advice of the people you admire probably something that you need to think about. But it's very gentle like that. Yeah. Great. Maybe we've got time for one more. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, it's a really good question. It's a great question. So the question is, you know, what if you're from another culture? What if your parents have a different belief? You know, if your parents are Muslims, you come from a culture that's different to the one that you live in. What, what do you do in that situation? Yeah. Um, a few things about that. So uh, parents in Proverbs are just a picture Like I said in the talk, many of us, for the reason you suggested or other reasons, our parents aren't good models. Um, They're a picture of the people who can act in this way towards you in the book. In saying that, what I would say is all of us, um, to varying extents, will have parents that share our view of the world or don't. And even if your parents are not Christians, even if they're of another faith, there will be things in their lives that that they have learned by living, that you can learn from. And we should accept that as a gift from God too. So if your parents aren't Christians, but you think, but they are incredibly generous, it's worth saying to them, 
What decisions did you make that made you generous like this, even though you know there's not a shared basic belief? It's one of the things we're going to see as we go through the book of Proverbs, that wisdom is actually on display for everyone to see. So it's not only believers who have access to it, and therefore we should take it from where we find it. And so all of us probably have things to learn from people older in our families or communities, even people who don't share our basic beliefs. That's, we take that as a gift from God too. Yeah, so great question. Thank you.